You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Okay, Jeannie's going to come and read the scriptures for you. Um, she is going to be reading out of the NIV. NCV, all right? And what you're going to see on the screen is probably the ESV. So we're just letting you know that you're going to have to have two tracks going right here, right now, okay? (laughs) That evening, Jesus' followers went down to Lake Galilee. It was dark now, and Jesus had not come to them. The followers got into a boat and started across the lake to Capernaum. By now, a strong wind was blowing, and the waves on the lake were getting bigger. When they had rowed the boat about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water, coming toward the boat. The followers were afraid, but Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. At once, the boat came to land at the place where they wanted to go. The word of the Lord. Thanks. All right. We are in a series. And as I said, I love where this series landed for today. Um, And I really am excited about preaching this particular word to you today because I think it's a really great word for Life Church as we are going forward into the new year, all right? And if you're a visitor today, I believe that God has a good word for you out of this. So Nichols family, all of you, the whole abundant group of you over here, welcome to Life Church. Glad to see all of you as a family come out. You helped fill the pews today. Thank you so much for that. Uh, But this is a word for you as well, all right? And all of you others who might be visiting also. Um, This is a unique passage in that Jesus, again, performs a sign, if you will, a miracle that happens here. Um, And um, it's, I think, quite significant. And I think the personal application for us is really good. I think it's very rich for us. So let me take you into it. Um, Let me start out by by sharing a story of my life with you. As a teenager, um, I did enjoy music a lot. And uh, so I, I grew up among some really, I thought, wonderful bands and duos and, and such. And I remember one of the first big concerts, like I'm talking about big name people, you know, that as a teenager I got to go to. I'm going to really date myself here, okay? Uh, but I really was so excited about this particular uh, concert. It took place in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, and we drove about an hour Uh, to get to the concert site uh, so that we could see Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, It was amazing. It was great, all right? And they sang all the songs that I love, all right? They sang them all. And I I was there enjoying this, but I kept waiting because there was one song that I really, like, I wanted to hear this song above all songs, and they weren't playing it yet, and so I waited, and they sang, and I waited, and they sang, and I waited, and then at the close of the concert, there it was, uh, my most favorite Simon and Garfunkel song, Like a Bridge Over Troubled Water. It was amazing, all right? They sang that for, for, for all of us, you know, but 
my opinion was they sang it for me, all right? Um, and they wrote a lot of other songs that other people sang, you know, and made popular. Uh, and everyone sang this song, but it was one of theirs. It came out of their, their heart, if you will. And um, I think it's amazing. Um, let me just take you back to that song for a minute. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. I suppose it was the turbulent time that I was personally living in in my life when I went to that concert. Um, I was without God. Uh, but I felt a longing in my soul every time I heard that song, every time I heard the lyrics, like they would pull at me. Um, and, and that night in Tallahassee was no different. Like I heard those words and they pulled at my heart. Um, but you see, there was a part of me that was longing for something to connect with. There was a part of me that wanted someone to come and I wanted, I wanted that person, I wanted that friend, I wanted somebody I could trust. I wanted somebody that could, could like hold me and value me enough that they would consider laying their life down for me. I could never have put those words uh, out there for you the way I just did back then, all right? But that is describing the longing that was in my soul, all right? And we have this amazing biblical scene here um, that is one of troubled waters. It's one of those places where the disciples find themselves um, following Jesus. Um, and if I can take liberty, it is. This, this event is a time of troubled waters, if you will. This is a storm, literal and otherwise, that comes up in the life of the disciples. And Jesus comes to them and he becomes that bridge, if you will, over troubled waters. But he doesn't just bridge the troubled waters. He calms the storm. And so we want to look at this a little bit. And if we follow um, Jesus' life here, we, we realize that he's just coming off of a really pinnacle kind of moment. He just fed the 5,000. And actually, if we're going to, to tell the truth in the whole story here, he fed, he fed far more than 5,000. The Bible says there were 5,000 men who were there. But with those men, many of their wives and children had accompanied them. So uh, the, I, the, the speculation is that there could have been as many as 20,000 people who were, who were out on these hillsides trying to get to Jesus, all right? Um, and he was able to feed them all. What an amazing miracle. What, is an, what an amazing sign. But as we begin to read this particular passage, it says that the crowd, after they had been fed, uh, they began to move about. And they wanted, some of the translations say, to take Jesus by force. Now, this isn't a negative. This isn't a bad thing, all right? But what was happening was there was an undercurrent. There was a, a strong movement, if you will, among the ranks of the people that, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. This is the man we make king. We need to make him king over us. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a shift. And we can do this. I mean, they're looking around and they're seeing like 20,000 people. Uh, I'm sure that emotions were running high and there was a lot of confidence and there was a lot of assurance that, hey, we could overtake the Roman government. 
government here. We could do, we could do a, a massive coup here, all right? And so they're thinking by force they're just going to make him their king, all right? They wanted a political ruler. They wanted someone who would have an impact, who would have an effect. In, in actuality, they wanted to be free from Rome. They wanted to have freedom from the Roman government, but they also wanted someone who would take care of them. They wanted someone who would feed them. They wanted someone who would care about their basic needs as people uh, uh, of, of God's people. And so they looked to Jesus, who had just fed miraculously 20,000 people, maybe, and they're like, he could do this. Like, if he can do this today, he can take care of us. And so they're trying to, to make him the king. And, and, and Jesus didn't come that way, all right? Uh, he, he came to be a spiritual ruler, not a political one, all right? Jesus was more interested in their soul than in their belly, and so Jesus had a different plan. The father had a different plan for his son. And so I think the initial question for us this morning as we start to look at this text is, what are you wanting Jesus to be? How are you wanting Jesus to come to you? What are you looking for when you look to Jesus? Are you looking for someone to shift the, the political atmosphere around you? Are you looking for someone that can just take care of your physical needs, like, like hunger? Uh, and are, are, but are you really wanting someone whose greatest desire is to redeem your soul and give you a new identity and put you on the right footing to follow God and build a kingdom? What are you looking for when you look to Jesus? It's an important question, because as we're seeing here, Jesus would rule in the hearts and the lives of all the people who would put their trust in him as Lord and Savior, not as king and provider. His throne would be a cross. His crown would be thorns. It's a different path. And Jesus knows their intent, and, and he also understands something else that's going on here, and I want to point that out to you is that as this crowd is amassing and as Jesus is performing signs and wonders and miracles, there are all kinds of things that are going through people's minds. And a lot of these people are unredeemed people. They're just following after the sign or they're looking for something in some way to get from him. And as they're doing that, the enemy is constantly at work here. And so there is a subtle move of the enemy that is going on in the backdrop of this story here as these people are gathering saying, we need to make him king. The enemy is, is agreeing. The, the enemy doesn't have a problem with him becoming the current king. Because you see, if he became the current king, he wouldn't go to the cross. And so the enemy would love to bypass the cross because then we would bypass our ability to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus understands this. He understands it's subtle, but he understands it. He gets it. And so the Bible talks about how Jesus is very emphatic in the way that he dispersed this crowd. He's like, we got to, we got to, everybody's got to go. And he is about to leave and go up on the hill and, and go into prayer with the Father. And so he also dismisses his 12 disciples. He makes them, the Bible says. If you look at the various translations, it's interesting the words that are used. But he makes them get in a boat. Like, the idea here is that he is almost forcing them. There have been times, especially during the holidays, when our kids 
and us have gone somewhere to like family or friends and they're having a great time and they're eating good food and they got presents or whatever and they're playing with other kids that they love and we say, okay, it's time to go and our kids don't want to go. They have a different plan. They have a different idea about how things should, should unfold. And we're like, no, we got to go. Come on, we got to go. We got to get home. You got to get to bed, you know, and they're resisting. And there have been literally times where I have like pushed my children along. In other words, I have in some way forced them into the car. It's like, you need to get in the car now, sweetheart, like now. We got to go. All right, come on. We got to go. And we're putting them in the car, and they're resisting a little bit, but they're, they're kind of compliant, and they're getting it. And then we're, we're, we're getting them in and making sure everything's in, and then we close the door quick. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. Disciples, get in the boat. You need to get in the boat, and you need to go on over. All right? You need to go now. And so there's this urgency, there's this sense in Jesus, all right, that he is moving the disciples. Why? I think because they too were susceptible. They too would have loved for him to be the king. They probably would have seen that much more logically, sensibly, what needed to happen. Let's just go ahead and make Jesus the king, you know? I mean, after all, didn't a couple of them say, we want to be by your side when you are great in your kingdom? Can you sit one on one side and one on the other? And so even in the disciples, there are these currents, these undercurrents going on. And so Jesus is moving them into a boat and getting them out of this situation and pushing them out into the sea as he is going alone up into the mountain to pray. I don't know what his prayer was. It doesn't tell us. We could speculate. I'm certain that there was probably some, some type of prayer here where Jesus is saying, Father, Help me, strengthen me. I, I need to stay focused here. I need to stay on the task that you have put in front of me. I need to be focused in the direction that you are carrying me in. And no doubt, uh, there, is, there is obviously this sense in him of there's 20,000 people out here and they, they have needs and they're looking to me and they're, they're, they're following me. And I'm sure that that was heavy for them. Uh, for him, for the disciples even. It's overwhelming, all right? And so there's lots that Jesus could, could talk to the Father about here. But, but what I want you to understand is he went alone to be with the Father in this moment when he had just sent his disciples off across the lake so that they could go to the other side, all right? And so Jesus is up on the mountain, and he is praying for the disciples, but they are in trouble on the lake down below. Do you get the picture here? Are you seeing this? See, he did more than see them. He went to them. And that's what I want you to understand, all right? He went to them. Not just did he go to them, but he walked to them on the very troubles that were threatening them, the waves of the storm. Jesus is not intimidated by the predicaments and, and, the, and the, the conflicts and the challenges that you face in your life. He is in no way shadowed by any of that, all right? Jesus can come into any situation. Jesus can come into any circumstance. So let me take liberty once again. He's saying, I'm on your side when it gets rough, when the storms come up, and when your friends can't be found. In other words, there's no other boat around you. There's no one else going through this at the same time you are. You're all alone. 
I'm that bridge over these troubled waters, and I will lay me down, ultimately, to lay his life down on the cross of Calvary so that you could have full redemption in every area of your life. So there's a profound principle right here that I want to carry through today, and I think this is, this is part of the word that God has for you in Life Church today and where you are and that is that Jesus is sovereign over the storms of life. When disaster, when difficulty, when rejection, when affliction, when trouble, when all of these things threaten to overwhelm us, the Lord comes to us like this bridge. He comes to us over these troubled waters to calm the storm. Jesus walks on the very troubles that threaten to do us in, and he calms the storm. He takes care of the situation so I want you to leave here today with this understanding that we see here in John chapter 6 that Jesus is sovereign over all of our dilemmas, all right? Now, let me help you to understand this a little bit better. I, I don't want you to leave here today with a mistaken notion, all right? And um, you will hear people preach something very different than what I'm about to explain to you uh, and, and point out to you, all right? But I want you to understand, I don't want you to have a mistaken notion about the way you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I don't want you to believe for one minute that simply because you follow Jesus that that totally and completely insulates you from problems and difficulties in this life. If you're coming to Jesus with the expectation that receiving him is going to take care of every problem in life, you're going to miss the boat right there, and you're going to be disappointed and frustrated, and you may not stay in relationship for very long. And so I, I want to help you to understand that you and I in this life, we will have adversity, according to Scripture. In this life, there will be places of suffering. Now, here's what I want you to understand even more clearly, all right? Obedience to Christ often can invite difficulty. Oh, there are some people who don't like this message. I get that. I don't like it either. But it, this is the truth. And so we don't bend another gospel around our feelings or around what we would like. All right, we look into the scriptures and we hold to the promises that God has given us, but we also hold to the realities that we see from the life of Christ. All right, it's certainly true of these disciples that they received difficulty or they encountered difficulty simply by being obedient to Jesus. When you read the other three gospel accounts of this particular incident, you discover here that Jesus made his disciples, as I said earlier, get into this boat with the instructions, go ahead of me to the other side. In other words, I'm not going with you in the boat this time. So you need to understand that you're going, all right? I'm staying here. I'm going up on the mountain. You and I have to understand that Jesus said to us, you're staying here, but I'm going to the Father. But in this life, you may have adversity. And both Matthew and Mark, in some translations, use the term made. He made his disciples get in the boat. Matthew writes um, in, the, in the New Living Translation, he says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So Jesus is doing other things. He's moving them out. So you get this picture of Jesus 
pushing them, all right? Now, these are seasoned fishermen, by the way, all right? They're doing all they can to prevent this boat from capsizing. Mark, in his account, gives us this imagery that the disciples are straining at the oars. They're like, they're really trying to fight this storm, and they're pushing well, the oars, but they're making very little headway. In other words, they're not moving along. This storm is buffeting them and keeping them in the middle of the lake. Now, please understand, this lake is notorious. Historically, it's notorious for a lake that is uniquely positioned at the foot of the mountains and the winds can come in very quickly. And when they do, because it's below uh, sea level here, it can have an adverse effect and it can create these turbulent storms that create high waves and boats can capsize on this lake. So this is a difficult, perilous situation that the disciples are finding themselves in and the passage says that it is now dark so they are they are it's compounding all right before it gets better (laughs) it's getting worse have you ever found that in your life have you ever been in that kind of place? I think that this needs to, to help us to, and serve us as a reminder that we are going to find ourselves in places of peril when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are not exempt from those kind of places. We may be in them. And the disciples, are, the disciples are our best example here. This is exactly where they are finding themselves. And they have completely obeyed the Lord in crossing the lake. Now... One way to get yourself in trouble is to disobey God, all right? Jonah is a good example of that. God called him to go to Nineveh. He decided to take a boat in the opposite direction. That boat got caught in a storm, all right? Uh, He ended up outside of the boat. He ended up inside a whale, all right? And and in, in the end, he repented, and he went to Nineveh and preached to them, and they repented, and God redeemed the city, all right? It was all good in the end. But he got in trouble for disobedience. But I want you to understand that these disciples are getting in trouble for obedience. And so you got to look at both and understand here that you and I, just by virtue of obeying God's word, all right, darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. The high wind rose and the sea began to churn. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? (laughs) That sounds so perilous. And yet, that's where the disciples found themselves. Had Jesus forsaken them? Had Jesus left them? Absolutely not. Jesus was talking to the Father. I want you to get this. Jesus still is talking to the Father. I'll elaborate on that in just a moment here. But I want you to understand that, that we need to see that Jesus is never not aware of where we are and what is going on. But we can find ourselves in the place of peril. We can find ourselves in that place where we find troubles around us and we may not know how to get out of them, all right? And so we have to be willing to to exercise faith in our minds and in our hearts that says, I believe, I believe that though I do not see, still God is faithful. So I can, by faith, say that that is not is, all right? I can live in a place that, though it's not yet, it already is. And so I live out of that kind of relationship with the Father, all right? And, and so, I mean, when I was younger, 
folks, I trusted God. When I became a Christian at a, at a young, younger, younger age, early 20s, um, just after Simon and Garfunkel, uh, <laughs> I, I, it was easy. I had a great church. The pastor was so excited when this long-haired hippie boy came down to the altar and gave his heart to Jesus. I don't know why, but he was even more excited when I cut my hair. <laughs> I, I, I don't get that, but, you know, uh, it happened. Um, but people were praying for me. People were encouraging me. Um, I, I was in a, a, a pretty good environment there, all right? But you know what? I got older. I stepped out on my own. I, I began to live in a world that in some ways was hostile to this lifestyle and this choice that I'd made to follow this Jesus. And here's what's going to happen, folks. You can take a moral stand for the Lord Jesus, and because you do that, some of your friends and acquaintances will reject you, and they maybe even will, will ridicule you. You can decide to live a godly life, and it may result in your unbelieving family ostracizing you or in some way condemning you or walking away from you. You, you can go to school or to the university and share the gospel with your classmates at lunch, and they may just get up and walk away and not have anything else to do with you. You may begin to give in your church, like you give a tithe or you give a, an offering. You say, God, I'm going to give every Sunday to you. And shortly after you make that commitment to God, you lose your job. You know? Um, there's all kinds of things that can come along into our lives simply because we're obedient, simply because we are fully giving ourselves to the Lord. Now, let, let me help you to see a little bit more clear where, where we're going here. The question oftentimes for me when I don't see Jesus in the mix of things is where are you? And sometimes when I think about really difficult and hard places, especially in my childhood and some of the horrible uh, sort of traumatic things that I endured there, I want to ask you, God, where were you then? Because I was just a little boy then. I, I, I couldn't take care of myself then. There wasn't anybody there taking care of me. Where were you then? Those are hard questions. And sometimes we don't get clear answers to those questions. But what I, I want you to see is that where is Jesus in your trial? Where is Jesus in your trouble? Where is Jesus in your opposition? Jesus is in the place of prayer, just as he was with the disciples. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed into the mountain. He went up in the mountain to speak to the Father. All right, that's John chapter 6, verse 15 that Jeannie read to you. Matthew and Mark both tell us in their Gospels that Jesus went up to the mountain for the explicit purpose of prayer, nothing else. It wasn't like, oh, I just want to get away and I just want to be alone and I can't handle it anymore and I don't want any more people around me and I'm sick of everything and I've just got to be by myself. All right. Those who mark this moment and say, God intends for me to be alone. God wants me to be alone. God just wants me to just ostracize myself or separate myself or inoculate myself or however you want to see it. Not true. Not true. There's nothing wrong with you getting alone. All of us need some alone time. But this is not to advocate that I get to spend lots of time alone when things get tough. 
What this means is that Jesus went up to be with the Father alone to pray. And when he did, these disciples encountered a difficulty. But what I want you to understand is they don't encounter the difficulty alone. They had always now had Jesus by their side in the past. And there was another lake event where Jesus was in the boat with them. All right? You can read about that in Matthew. All right? But this time, Jesus sends them without him. And so they are in trouble, and they feel alone, and Jesus isn't physically present to them, all right? But they have, by their obedience, brought themselves into this place. Now, when you read the three gospel accounts, other, other than John, of this particular incident, you discover that Jesus only gave them this, this instruction, get in, go to the other side. He didn't tell them what they were going to do. He didn't tell them why. He didn't explain anything. Sometimes Jesus just calls us to move. Sometimes Jesus is just calling us to step out, all right? And so you get this picture of Jesus pushing this boat away. These disciples make it about three and a half miles out into the, the lake. In other words, they are out in the middle. They're in the deep part, all right? And so if this boat sinks here, it's sink or swim, and, and so out in, in this place, this is this sudden and unexpected storm. You don't always get a notification, all right? There's no app on your phone where it says, all right, set up notifications so when a storm's about to hit, you get notified and you're prepared for it. Storms come unexpected. Difficulties happen without explanation. Circumstances rise up that challenge us that we're not prepared for, all right? In other words, the wind is against us. We're being buffeted in some way, all right? Straining against the oars and not getting anywhere. Have you ever felt like that in your life, that you're, just, you're trying so hard, but you're just not getting anywhere? These fishermen, oh my goodness, their obedience to Christ did not give them immunity, and you and I don't get immunity either. And the disciples had to learn this. They had to learn that during storms, we may not have sight of him, but he never loses sight of us. He is constantly interceding, all right? He is constantly praying for you and I. This is his role. This is what he is given to do. He has gone back to the Father, and he sits at the right hand of the Father ever interceding, ever praying for all of us, all right? And so Jesus can see them even though they can't see him. And so he comes in the night knowing full well that the storm has come. As a matter of fact, he knew full well the storm would come when he pushed the boat away from the shore. Can he be trusted? Absolutely. Absolutely, because he will come. He will come. And he is there making intercession with the Father. See, Jesus was preparing his disciples for something. And he was preparing them in the same way that this message prepares us. There would come a day when they would not be able to see him literally. And they would have to trust him by faith. He would go. He would ascend. 
to be with the Father. And they need to live in the same faith-filled, courageous, confident way in that day that they were living when they had him next to them. And you and I need to be able to live that same way. And so we need to be able to live out of the reality that Jesus is praying for us. He is preparing you and I through this story and others. He is preparing us for the reality that he is always there in the midst of the storm. He will always be there for us in every situation that we encounter. And we have to trust that reality and trust that Jesus is sovereign over our deliverance. Not just sovereign over our dilemma, but the second point is he is sovereign over our deliverance. All right? So when they were about three to four miles out, it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. But the reality is they were afraid. They didn't understand. They didn't know what to think of it. And he says to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is what's important for you and I because that's our deliverance. It's twofold. He says, it's me. In other words, it's not going to be any other way but me. I am your deliverance. And he says, in me, you don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. Folks, you and I are prone to find some other way to be delivered. We're, find, we're, we're prone to find some other answer other than Jesus. But honestly, there was no other answer for these disciples in this storm. There is nothing else that could save them but Jesus. And so he comes and he speaks not only peace to them, but he moves them to that destination that is theirs, the other side of the lake. It's something we don't always like catch. We preach about he is the one who comes in the storm. But this passage in John, John is, is, is the one who points this out. He says, they were in their dilemma and Jesus came to them and Jesus spoke peace to them. But then it says, immediately they were at their destination. Another piece of the miracle, another piece of the sign, if you will, all right? And so I want you to understand that when Jesus comes, he's not coming just to save you out of a circumstance. He's not coming just to deliver you out of a moment, all right? Because that's how we live. And when we live that way, we live out of crisis management. We're asking God to come in every crisis, come in every situation, come in every circumstance. Just deliver me now. Take care of me in the moment, and then I'll move on. I'll continue my life. And a lot of times, we don't change. We don't have a difference made in our life because we've been impacted by a difficult circumstance because we just wanted to be delivered in that moment. Jesus comes to deliver us with the intent of getting us to our destination. His intent is to bring change. His intent is for us to understand him and see him more clearly than we've ever seen him before. And with each circumstance and each challenge and each, each obstacle, we are to see Jesus more clearly, see him more fully, and become more like him through the circumstances that we are going through, all right? There's an old song, I remember when I was younger in church hearing it, and it has these words in it. Remember that when the waves are over your head, they are under his feet. And this is something I want you to understand. You may feel like in this life you're sinking. I don't know what's ahead of us in 2020. But you know what? 
it looks like there's a storm on the horizon, doesn't it? It looks like there's some difficult times ahead for our nation. Our economy's looking good right now. But there's a lot of people talking about how it can't last. But, but regardless of what we think might be out there, let me ask you this. If everything was pulled out from under you, where would you be? Where would you be able to live? How would you sustain yourself? If all of the safety valves that you have in place, if all of the, the protectors that you have put around you, if they were all washed out, where would you be? How would you stand? I think you and I would have to see Jesus walking on the water. I don't think there would be any other way for us than that. And so the last thing I want you to see is that he is your message of deliverance. It is I. In other words, build your faith. Believe that he will be who he is, who he says he is, and he will come. And then let him banish your fears even now. Here's the problem with most of us in the church. We're not prepared for those difficult, adverse times that come into our lives. We're not ready for them. Honestly, the disciples were not ready for this experience. They got into the boat because he said to. They had no idea what was coming in front of them. And they had not thought through any preparation for it. The beauty is that you and I live on the other side of the life of Christ on this earth. We get to see all of this, and we get to understand the teachings of John and the other disciples. And we're able to take hold of this and build a foundation for ourselves. You and I need to build a foundation on the truth and the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And we need to be able, when storms enter our lives, to already be positioned to get through them. You and I don't have to look in fear to empty turbulent waters in front of us. And then, when our deliverance comes, actually be afraid of it. We need to be able to look, and even though we don't see, we know that Jesus is walking on the waters, that he has already come, and that he is with the Father interceding for you and I, that he is speaking over our life for purpose and for accomplishment, and that everything that he is bringing to us is to empower our progress and that even though we face storms, whether that's in marriage or in sickness or in oppression or depression or whatever, we are not without the Savior. We are not without the rescue, all right? He is purposing in our lives to bring us to our destination, to move us to that place that we need to be. He is coming, walking on the waters, all right? He is that bridge over those troubled waters, but so much more. He is that friend that we don't see around us. He is that one who has already laid his life down. And he has given to us a new identity. And we don't walk in defeat. We don't walk in failure. We don't walk in destruction. We walk in victory because we are the sons and daughters of God. Amen. This is the word for the new year. Regardless of what you encounter, as you are walking in obedience to Jesus, He is coming to you. He is with the Father, and He will come to you in every situation, and He will be faithful to deliver you.
from everything that you encounter. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing a song together, all right? Father, we love you this morning. This is your word. This is your truth. Build our faith out of this word. Banish our fears out of this word. Let us see you as the safest place in all the world. And let us continually be obedient to everything that you are calling us to. And so we believe, God, that you are here with us and that by your Spirit, you will enable us and you will deliver us. But even more than that, you will bring to completion the work that you have begun in us. Father, in 2020, let us embrace all of your direction, all that you put before us, all that you bring to us, God. Let us embrace it fully, Lord, and walk into our destination, into our purpose, into our fullness, Lord. Help us, God, that we won't look back. Help us to be, as Paul said, those who don't think about what is behind us even. We don't consider it. All right, we let it go and we look forward, we look ahead, we look to that place that is in front of us. We ask you, God, to prove yourself faithful in all circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.